Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. From the history of fake sting to the Wolfpack's backstage attitude, we're talking Slamboree 1997 with Eric Bischoff. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hey there, 83 Weeks fans, and welcome to After 83 Weeks. This is the show for everybody who loves Eric and Conrad's show. To come afterward, we cover all the big reveals, we get your fan reactions, and of course, we have the one and only Eric Bischoff Skyping in a little later to answer all of your questions. We are talking Slammery 1997 today. Let me introduce you to the whole team. Very happy to have them all by my side tonight. Please welcome the host of the AfterBuzz TV Smackdown After Show and a veteran of the biz. His name is Christian Rose. Gosh, she's talking about me. That's me. <laughs> Yay! Hey! I love how excited you got about that. That's great. How's it going? I'm good. Excellent. And this man, well, he's the encyclopedia of sports entertainment. He is also known as the Devastator 2 around some parts, but we call him George Hermosa. That is what people call me. I am a dual champion at Wrestling Pro Wrestling. You won a trophy. A championship. It was, it was a small trophy. Congratulations. <laughs> this guy runs... <laughs> he doesn't have any trophies, but he runs the YouTube pages for like a lot of big, huge wrestling veterans, so you want to know his name, and it is Steve Kaufman. I will have trophies and plaques if any of those channels make it to 100,000 subscribers. I said when. I mean... Or I said if, I mean when <laughs> one of those channels makes 100,000 it's, subscribers. It's, it's, it's not as commanding if you had to correct yourself mid-sentence. No. You're, you're wrong. You're, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You're wrong. <laughs> guys, well, you guys, does anyone else smell burnt toast? <laughs> I'm sure you're feeling bad for this poor guy now. So make sure you subscribe right here to this 83 Weeks channel. Give us a little thumbs up, and you can also catch us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you leave a rating and a comment. We would love to shout you out if you do so. So, on that note, I think uh, there's quite a bit to talk about here. There was some, what I would, what I like to call juicy tidbits in this episode about fake Sting, about the Hulk Hogan biopic. What was your guys' first reaction when listening to this one? Uh, I mean, I was just excited overall, because, I mean, 1997, in my opinion, is one of the best years for wrestling in general. WWE was hot, WCW was hot, ECW just got on pay-per-view like a month before. Just honestly, anything and everything about this year, about this time, was just iron striking gold. Like, just, it was just amazing. I I couldn't wait to hear about it. I couldn't wait for it. There was a lot of good wrestling on the show, too. Yeah. That's what I was excited about as well. You know, the fake sting stuff to me... We've had, I mean, just last week, all the great stories we have from the collision in Korea, yeah. the other fun stories that we've heard. That may be my favorite story that I have listened to <laughs> since we've done this show. Because <laughs> here's a guy who couldn't get booked on TV. <laughs> and we're just like, all right, we got some for you because you kind of look like Sting. So we're temporarily going to make you this... I mean, this is like fake razor, fake diesel type right. idea. And he's had a twenty-plus year career. He might have. He might be fake Sting almost as long as Sting has been Sting. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right because he's still at it. Yeah. So, I mean, I I remember 
So around WrestleMania time, because there are obviously all those independent shows going on, Joey Janela had a show where he has this crazy rumble and so many bizarre faces show up. NWO Sting was a surprise entrant in that. So was Mantar. But, yeah, <laughs> um, but like I thought, oh, wow, they dug him up somewhere and he was willing to do it. This is really cool. And, and I saw photos. I'm like, he's still in really good shape. Good for <laughs> him. And then this story, like, no, he's still active <laughs> in Japan and is a god. What? <laughs> You're right. Well, it's cool. It's cool. And at least on this show, we haven't really heard the behind the scenes yet of, like, who came up with it. He gave the stuntman credit. Yeah. Um, for kind of for coming up with this. Um, but I think with given what today is, it could be a little controversial. Perhaps. I, I recall them handling... Um, Everything post Owen Hart. I recall them handling it very tastefully mm-hmm. and taking their time. But I am kind of curious how, what that decision was like internally. Yeah. But also, Vince Russo claims, and I know he may, his, main, his name may be dirt around here, but Vince Russo claims that he had the same, guy, the same people who lowered Sting down to the ring. He claims that they had Owen Hart do it. It was the same contractor. Why would you insult dirt like that? <laughs> No, it's it. Sting you you actually down said ring. something that was great. Um, you actually said something really <laughs> thank, important. Thank you. There. Dead on with the comedy. However, um, <laughs> same contractor who did the stunt work with Owen. According were the same people who were doing stinks. According to Vince Russo, in one shoot tape, but he could never name who the contractor was. Mm. Like it, Russo also said he was behind the screw job. It was yeah, his like, idea. Russo like, is an unreliable narrator sometimes. So that I, I don't want to press anyone too hard on this, but mm-hmm. I do distinctly recall Russo claiming it was Sting's guy, bro. I don't know what the problem was. It was Sting's guy. Okay, well, you didn't believe that. Did you believe? Do you believe that NWO eighty six thousand shirts? Sold I believe on Amazon it. Last I, honestly, I, I'm I'm still shocked that NWO wasn't even number one. Sting was the number one merch seller. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that always shocks me every time that he says it. Oh, I, well, I thought you were talking about, like, this last quarter. It was this last quarter, yeah. Oh, yeah. this but, last quarter? But he also yeah. mentioned that back oh, wow. in the day, Sting was also still... Well, yeah, I mean, how much of that was because well. Kendall Jenner wore that NWO shirt not too long ago? I'm sure it helped. You know what I mean? That was like a year ago. But it, still, it, it, like, it boosted some stuff. I mean, sure. as, as weird as it is, um, it boosted some stuff. That one comedian wore one on Saturday Night Live, too. It's yeah. Like a it, thing, oh, that's right. It's yeah. a weird thing. It's, it's, like, cool to be into wrestling, but, like, not really into wrestling. Yeah, it's, it's, cool that, it's cool that, hey, I know wrestling, this is something that was cool mm-hmm. and I'm doing a throwback and now everyone's going to buy it. But especially now it's like it's like nostalgia's in. You know how often do you see people wear that Macho Man purple shirt yep. and you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't know, NWO, it, it was cool, it still is cool, you know. It doesn't surprise me that it still sells to this day. I mean, it, oddly enough, like the, the yellow like Hulk rule shirt isn't really that popular today. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if within like five years or so that somehow makes a comeback. I, re- I remember like, and I'm curious how how this works. I remember I saw somebody not too far, like a year ago, he had like a Golden State Warrior blue NWO shirt, and I guess like a lot of a lot of teams that are yeah. symbolic with a specific color have a lot of that NWO style shirt. Hmm. So even well, something like that, where it's like and it's not just black and white, but it's even you know whatever those colors are, that might go into that. You know, still selling to this day. You know, if I was Eric, that would all just chat my ass so hard. And it's a good thing that he is such a um, successful, um, he's not petty, you know, because, man. We asked him that. People really be raking in a lot of money on that. Really early on on the show. Who didn't think of it? 
like really early in the show, we asked Eric about who gets the rights to who gets the merch rights to the NWO, yeah. and he said the WWE. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the he said, WWE well, it ain't me. The WWE paid, I believe, less than two million dollars for WCW in its entirety. They sold a hundred thousand NWO shirts in one quarter mm-hmm. in 2019. In t- yeah, like <laughs> so much long late. Like God, that's they make such good purchases. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say that for them. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I had fun uh, pulling up Slamboree 19. Speaking of WWE, pulling up WWE Network on my TV. Just love to have to see that all the time. And watch Slamboree 1997. Uh, when I did so, though, uh, I mean, nothing really stood out to me. I loved the women's match because I'm just fascinated by everything Medusa was doing at this time. We don't get to see a lot of Luna Vachon. I I know a lot about wrestling. No. Had no idea about this like Phantom title change that they were going to do with Medusa. That's in, no that is idea. in the weeds. I had no idea that was like a thing. George was stumped because I swear to God, I thought this whole time I'm like they never gave her the women's championship, but he kind of said like it kind of did, but not really. Because yeah. they still did that in WWE. I think the '92 they did that for LOD and Money Inc. But like Alundra Blaze, like. Like or Medusa, like I don't know. I, to me, that was like, oh wow, I didn't, I, I didn't know that. You weren't so on the fascinated. Wrestling Observer message boards in 1997. No, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, me too. No, you I were. Was ever, I was never a big Observer guy. You were 13. I was never a big Observer guy. Was never my thing. <laughs> Fair. Oh, oh, all right. Well, when you guys watched this one back, was there anything that stood out to you as particularly good or or bad? Lots you know? of football players. Yeah, <laughs> all those <laughs> NFL. An, an excessive amount of football players on one pay per view. And yet, no cheerleaders yet. No. No, they're no. coming in a couple months. Sure. I think their first show was like in July, like early July is when the Nitro Girls came in. Yes, they debuted in July. Yeah. I, as much as I always like make fun of Mongo and a lot of athletes when they attempt to be in wrestling matches, Yeah. I really enjoyed pretty much all of Kevin Green's stuff. Yeah. I somehow because knew you weren't going to say Reggie White. I was not going to say <laughs> Reggie White in this situation. But uh, Kevin Green to me was was like one of those rare exceptions of the guy who who gets it, mm-hmm. and he and he knows okay I'm going to be limited in the things that I do, but I know how to get a reaction from the fans. I'm going to do whatever I can, and hopefully some of that will impress people. And and it did, and the fact that like Ric Flair would always want to work with him, <laughs> yeah, that's either huge. either for or against him is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean. I give credit where credit's due. Kevin Kevin Green, I thought, did a lot of fun, um, was a lot of fun, and did his part really well. Reggie White, no. Um, Mongo, also no. It was like a 15-minute <laughs> unnecessary match. Like, why well, would you give the guys 15 minutes? Do you guys think that Kevin Green could have pulled off the proposed heel turn? No. That He's, I don't think. Oh, like he seemed too much of a nice guy. That's why. Some it, guys just don't look like a heel, you know? And Because, yeah. I, I mean, with, the, with an athlete turning heel, but then still playing his actual sport. Like, if he was retired, maybe. Mm -hmm. Rodman is, like, that only exception because, okay, we know he is a jackass. So, we can boo him Mm because he's just pisses everyone off. And Robin was okay with that while he was an athlete. Yeah. Like he knew he, to be he an actual being heel. the heel in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, he was nice to me this weekend when we did shots together and he invited me to sit at his table at the Abbey on Cinco de Mayo, but whatever. Details, oh, wow. Rosa, Rosa, can you pick that name up? It's all the way over there now. <laughs> oh, wow. It, it, it just fell all the way you down. You think he's telling his friends that he had uh, drinks with Christy Olsen? That's yes. Me? I'm, I'm yeah. so sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. 
Are we going to make her whole Twitter handle, Christy Olsen, that's me? We should. Oh, my God. Why didn't I think of that sooner? Uh, well, let's <laughs> go back to Reggie. Was there anything that Reggie White could have done? Do you Not think? wrestle. Okay. Yeah. Um, Manage somebody. Yeah. Well, be in a tag match. I think Mongo and Reggie White against... Um, oh yeah, that makes 90, sense. Ninety-seven. But, I don't want to say Harlem well, Heat, but, but even, like, but again, if they're feuding with each other, so like Mongo gets a partner, Reggie gets a. partner. But even if it's a singles match and they're set on a singles match, don't have them against a very, very low experienced guy. At least Lauren Taylor had Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah, like yeah. you know, he didn't have some other guy. You know, he didn't have Ken Norton Jr. or whatever his name was. You know, from the Niners, like he had another experienced wrestler. Well, you know, they. I mean, obviously, we're looking back in retrospect, of course. But what they could have done is, if you wanted to. Come Combine things and combine stories because there was the questions regarding the Benoit Ming match. Mm-hmm. One yeah. surprise partners, and um, you know, Mongo brings out his horseman buddy Benoit. Mm-hmm. Reggie White suddenly brings out Ming, and then uh, you have this bizarre tag match. Yeah. I want to see that. Yeah, you're welcome, world. <laughs> well, because similar to we talk about Kevin Green, how Kevin Green knows where he is and isn't limited, mm-hmm. and f- puts himself and they put him in a position. To work around his limitations. Mm-hmm. You, there's no way to work around Reggie White's limitations if he's one-on-one for 15 minutes with Mongo. Yeah. Like, there, I don't know. Like, I think I know Mongo's better. I know Mongo's great. But, like, he's not. That's not Brett and Sean Iron Man match to you? No, like, <laughs> but Bret Hart would be a good example of someone who could sure, work so around. Like, for 15 minutes, Bret Hart could work around Reggie White. Oh, of course. Well, we did see some actual seasoned veterans on this show as well. A big promo between DDP and Macho Man Randy Savage that, you know, Eric talked about there being a little bit of real heat there, some sort of truth to it. I didn't know that it came off that hot. I, don't, I mean, it was just good. I mean, I know they feuded. I, I know they really liked each other in real life. So yeah. kind of looking back on it, it did seem like a couple jabs, but nothing. that I'm, I'm sure they were all okay with it. Mm-hmm. Also, I will say, and maybe it's just my expectation, watching something back on the network I'm not a f- in in a world where I can push a button and just watch DDP and Macho Man have a match. I'm really uninterested in their promo. Mm-hmm. But that's an after the fact sure. experience. It's something that could be not even imagined in 1997. Not even a little. But like now, I'm like I, I don't want to watch them have a promo. I just want to watch the match now. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. You can like pause and fast forward now. <laughs> yeah, like you can literally just skip that promo and jump to the next match. I mean, I know Savage was hurt, so he couldn't wrestle, but I, I dug it. I, I like their other promos. I like their little thing what they did with La Parka that one time, where DDP was wrestled La Parka. So you dug it or you digged it? <laughs> brother. Wow, good uh, one. Good one, brother. How about this idea that the wolf pack showed up with their happy faces on, positive, <laughs> ready to do the job? <laughs> they have you to don't lose hear at that some very point. Often? Well, I mean, eventually you lose Well, they're not going to they're not going to win because there's no championship on the line. So no, like, but I think just the sexier narrative is always like, oh, those guys were such jerks and they would show up and they wouldn't do the job and they're no no no. And to hear someone who was in the know be like, "No, it was fine." And it's crazy cuz like you you hear like you probably think like oh of course they don't have a problem doing the job to Flair or Piper but I heard like a month later that's when Piper and Nash got into it backstage like and they like went out at each other well, so I'm obviously yeah, there was like maybe time, I'm saying like yeah. maybe there was like tension building up maybe even during this match maybe but um, the fact I mean with that crowd being so hot and the fact that they all pretty much got beat at the same time mm-hmm. clean yeah. That's a real good moment, and that's one thing. Hey, tonight WCW actually got one up on the NWO. Mm-hmm. Then titles get involved, and then obviously NWO reclaims the lead. And all but that. I think it's it's also the tone in which Eric mentioned, like these guys all put their happy face on and they came ready to work and do a job. Sounded as a way of like, 
other weeks, that was not the case. <laughs> I was really excited to remember this time when they all showed up and did what the Booker Man told them. Well, we can ask Eric for clarification on that or anything that we wish, because he's going to be joining us in just a minute. So stay tuned, because we will be back with Eric Bischoff. We're back on the 83 Weeks channel, and joining us now is the host of 83 Weeks, Eric Bischoff. Hey, Eric, how you doing tonight? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Did we catch you at a bad time? No, actually, I was looking for some information that might help, you know, add a little color to this uh, particular episode. And I, I saved it on my phone. So I'm going, oh, my God, they're going to come up live here in a minute. I better find this. So. <laughs> oh, well, I like that. It's like we got you doing research. You know, you're all ready to be thoroughly grilled. Yep, I'm ready. Yeah. I, I, I basted myself this morning. I've been in the refrigerator for a couple hours. I'm ready to go. Real away. Yeah, well, let's make it hot. What do you think it is about 1997 that your audience keeps voting for, that they want to hear about what was going down at WCW in 97? Excellent question. And I think you hit it right on the head. 97 was, in my opinion at least, I think one of the most exciting times in professional wrestling. It was like the peak of, of WCW when the war was really at its peak. When we were like, you know, when, when we launched Nitro in 95, we were the underdog. Every dirt sheet writer, anybody that had an opinion was all, was thoroughly convinced that Nitro was never, was going to be horribly embarrassed. It was going to be a huge failure. And then when we came up from underneath, you know, as, as the underdog, if you will, and we got into our second act and it was like, holy cow, this is going to be a fight. And you know, we know what the third act was, but that's between the the beginning of the second act and the beginning of the third act. It was one of the most exciting times in wrestling, and I think that represents 1997, the beginning of the second, yeah, beginning of the second end of the third act. I think that really represents 1997, where you saw the most interesting storylines, the, the the biggest changes in wrestling, not only from a character point of view or you know, storyline point of view, but just in terms of format mm -hmm. and what we were willing to do and what we were willing to expose to the audience and breaking down the barriers that had never been, you know, been broken down before. All of that kind of occurred in a very concentrated era, which I think really 1997 more than anything represents. Yeah, well, let's kind of uh, zero in here on Slamboree. Somebody that we saw making kind of a one-off appearance here who had been in WCW before and a little a little while after is Luna Vachon. And I have to just have to ask you, what kind of impression did she make behind the scenes on, on you and, and others? You know, I didn't really deal with Luna uh, very much. I, again, you know, there were other people working, you know, with me um, that had those responsibilities of dealing with new talent, hiring and you know, negotiating and managing and writing for new talent. Uh, so she, Luna wasn't really on my radar. I don't mean that in any way disrespectfully, but that was just the context of my role in WCW at the time. Well, she certainly is an interesting <laughs> lady. <laughs> Speaking of anyone on the internet who has an opinion, did you at any point like have a relationship or communication with Dave Meltzer? Yes, I did. I did. You know, at, at the urging of Zane Breslau, who was a dear friend and a, a great confidant, but more than anything, a great friend, um, 
Zane had a, re, a relationship. And, and Zane, by the way, for people that don't know, Zane, Zane had previously worked in a live event, you know, um, division, I guess, of a third-party contractor, mm. but worked closely with the WWF for a long time, promoting live events in, you know, different markets around the country. Zane came to work for us. Zane had a relationship with Zane, and, and I became very close to Zane. And Zane urged me to kind of open the door, you know, to having a conversation with, with Dave, and I did. Um, it, 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 it blows my mind that, you know, when I read some of the things that I read today, how Dave interpreted his relationship with me as some kind of creative consultant or collaborator or I ran ideas by him. Nothing was further from the truth than that. Was I trying to open dialogue to help manage the, the dirt sheet effect that, you know, they were having on the industry at the time? Yes. By the way, so did Vince McMahon. Oh, by the way, oh. so did Dixie Carter. By the way, so was everybody just about in the wrestling business. Tried to manage that to a degree, but it, it, it didn't work. Um, I, I realized that no matter how much access I gave Dave, or not just Dave, but others, um, when it came to the decision whether to you know write dirt, write a headline, write clickbait, or pick up a phone and get the right answer, more often than not, they'd go to clickbait. And that's when I went, fuck it, not worth my time. What, about, what year was this? Right oh, now. I don't know. Um, Maybe sometime ninety five. Okay. Early ninety six. Isn't it astonishing that he couldn't see the value in having a close relationship with the company instead of getting those sort of clickbait ads? Well, or it's not games? really when you think about it from, you know, strictly an economic perspective. His bullshit and his clickbait was far more valuable to him than facts. Unfortunately, that's true. In almost all news that we see today, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you, you can generate more emotion, you can generate more interest, you can generate more connectivity by appealing to outrageous, absurd nonsense than you can by the dry facts. Dry facts are very rarely as interesting as the nonsense around them. So previously, Slamboree was short for Slamboree, a Legends reunion, where we saw like a Hall of Fame ceremony in the middle of the pay-per-view. Why was that discontinued in 96 or maybe not brought, for, not brought back in 97? I thought it was a cool concept, giving you know, homage to the Legends. Why was that not a thing anymore? Yeah, in giving credit where credit is due, I think that was Ole Anderson's idea primarily, uh, at least originally. Uh, Sharon Sadello, who was the VP of marketing, was a very big uh, supporter of that, probably because Oli was, because they were like, <laughs> <laughs> we won't say what Just that was. Just say it. Rumor and innuendo. Are you trying to give Kaufman more memes to make? Yes. <laughs> we need to promote. We're promoting. We're promoting. Right. But the idea was cool, but here's the truth of it. You know, we realized, you know, when we everybody went through their individual, you know, they went through their Rolodexes and thought, well, who do I know that I can bring back as a legend that will do it for like 150 bucks at a <laughs> And we realized, okay, we're going to be able to pull this off maybe once, maybe twice, and then we're going to be digging deep for legends. So it was a cool idea. I agree with you. But we just didn't have – the relationship with enough people to keep it special every year. 
the story that you guys told um, on this week's podcast about NWO Sting might have been the most fascinating thing to me <laughs> since I've done this show. I just found the fact that he had has still having such this long career in Japan as a parody, it, uh, like unbelievable. I I just want to know when the bulk of that storyline passed. As far as I know, more real fake Sting NWO. We see Sting is signed with WCW. Was there ever any other ideas on to use him for something, or just like no, you're doing well with this, and he was going to Japan, and the rest is history. No, it, it, it's a fascinating question, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's a study in culture, really. It's a study in psychology, and you know we all, especially now over the last couple of years, we're all exposed to much more Japanese wrestling than we probably ever ever were. But it's hard to you, you can't assume that the things that make sense in Japan make sense in the United States, and vice versa. In fact, they really don't. Although the Japanese love anything American. One of the first things I've ever, I don't know how much time we have, so somebody start counting me down if we go no, to No, no, keep going. I get the you five, 30 four, seconds three, on me. <laughs> See one thing down really good. But, you know, when you go to Japan for the first time, one of the first things you'll notice, one of the first things I notice is you'll see a hotel that says, Hotel Starface. You go, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Starface. And the point is that a lot of times Japanese, they'll use American language or American logos that actually make zero sense here in the United States. They love the culture so much that they'll, they'll copy it in some respects or use it to market things because everybody you know, aspires to be that American culture, cultural icon, but yet it makes zero freaking sense. And the same thing is kind of true. Well, the same thing is true if you go into a Taco John's or a Taco Bell. You know you Taco ask for John. things that you see that are like Mexican. You know, it's like, you know, Tesa Mesa, you know, Tesa Macuto or whatever the <laughs> fuck it is. They make up shit that sounds Mexican that isn't. And if you were a Mexican and you walked in here and you looked at that Mexican menu, you would go like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's the same thing in Japan. So long-winded way of saying this. The Jeff Farmer fake Sting character got over because of a moment in time, because of the way the Japanese modified that character in the storyline to fit their audience. Once they did that, it wasn't like I could pick it up and transplant it and convert it immediately to English by hitting Google and translate. <laughs> it, it just didn't fit here anymore. The storyline here had advanced in such a way that that character no longer fit, but it was still, and still is, viable in Japan. The, the guy has made his living off a of parody. And he, I mean, it, it blows my mind. Have you ever gotten a thank you note for that one, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> Indirectly. Uh, Jeff Farmer, I saw him in Tokyo about uh, two months ago. And he bought me a beer. Oh. <laughs> As he well should. Um, keeping with Sting, we mentioned a lot in this episode about Sting coming down from the rafters. In light of the day we're shooting, this would be the anniversary of Owen Hart. It's worth asking, was there ever a huge or big safety concern with Sting and coming down from the rafters? There wasn't a safety concern. We had done it enough, and we had enough confidence in, in Ellis Edwards, the, the guy that actually produced that stuff for us. Who um, is now working for the mm -hmm. WWF, doing the exact same thing, by the way. Um, 
we had enough confidence in Ellis. By that point, Sting had enough confidence in his end of the execution that there was no there was no fear. There was no concern for anyone's safety. There was an issue. Now that you guys are coming up with good questions. Every week, your questions get better and better and better. Wait till the next one. <laughs> Don't speak too soon. This makes it fun for me. You're hitting parts of my brain that nobody's hit in a while. But one of the things that we were concerned about was, you know, the public's reaction to it. You know, there was a certain amount of pressure on us to, out of, to a degree, respect, which weighed heavily on me, in, in all fairness. Um, a little bit of backlash. We were a little bit concerned about that. Not too much. You know, I never, I never weighed, you know, public backlash as, as a real important factor in my decision-making process. I was aware of it. And as long as I mitigated it with common sense and reasonable creativity, I would always take that risk. Um, but it was the issue of, you know, we're all in the same business, even though we're in two different companies. You know, it is what it is. Um, Brett's here. Mm. You know, how do we handle this? And it was a tough decision. It really, really was a tough decision. Wow, that's so interesting. So this pay-per-view was the third straight pay-per-view where the world title was not defended at all. And it wouldn't be defended again until August. What was the strategy behind maybe some of that? Was that mostly about making Hogan a special attraction? Was it maybe making the world title a special attraction? Or was it maybe making when they would be Hogan and the belt on Nitro, making Nitro's more special? I mean, was it all of the above? No, it wasn't all of the above, and it certainly wasn't the latter. Look, we always knew, and this was, you know, this was like the uh, the ultimate, you know, tight tightrope act, right? We knew that in order to have the kind of pay per view revenue we wanted to generate, we had to have television ratings. I mean, they were one and the same. You could extrapolate now. There, well, there wasn't back then, but there is now an algorithm. I'm sure that would, you know, very clearly point to an increase in ratings to an increase in pay-per-view. But sometimes, you know, it wasn't always a binary choice. You couldn't always pick one or the other. Sometimes you had to do both. You had to continue to make that belt viable and your main stars viable, keep them feeling special, and that's the really hard part of this, keep them feeling unique and special and keeping them in enough pay-per-views that you could generate enough money by the end of the year to be profitable. So you're always walking that fine line between how much is too much exposure, how much is not enough exposure. Two things that were critical to us back then, number one is, how do we make the belt feel special? You can't have the belt you know, up for sale every week and expect it to have any, you know, retain any value, right? And the other one, and this was a more complex one because we were learning on the job as we were going, but as we were increasing the volume of pay-per-views, it became really obvious that we had to start being a little bit selective and pace ourselves so that we could pick the pay-per-views strategically based on the time of year and proximity to other WWE or F pay-per-views, making sure that we had the hottest storylines kind of coincide with the right pay-per-view in order to extract the most amount of value from that. Does that make sense? It does. It, it almost sounds like a blueprint, you know, like, you know, an engineering diagram, but it really was almost that. It's one thing to come up with a hot storyline. It's another thing to come up with a hot storyline or a good storyline or a storyline that peaks kind of when you need it to peak according to your pay-per-view schedule. 
and keeping in mind, you got four or five other storylines underneath that. So you kind of want to keep them balanced. So the short answer to your question was, it wasn't about making Nitro more special than the pay-per-view. It wasn't about making Hulk Hogan the most special. It was a combination of how do we tell the right story with the right stars at the right time that keeps that belt feeling really, really important. Wow, there's such a science to it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you talked about on this show. You you broke down how much you loved uh, the four man commentary team. Oh, they were so good. You know, I I actually I read something on social. I don't mean to interrupt you. That's rude. I how tried dare that. you? <laughs> Do I look like Conrad? Come on. <laughs> But, uh, stop yeah, it. Yeah. All right, bad question. Keep going. <laughs> I, I, I read a couple of you know comments, you know, acknowledging that, and I actually went back and listened to it again this morning, and I loved it even more. Oh. That was that was perfection. A four man booth. You guys know what that's like. You know, you have a format. You know what you're going to do. You each have your own points, your own questions. You have to do that because we have a short amount of time to give in as much information as we can. But in a three-hour pay-per-view, it's about telling stories, but in the best possible way at the right possible time. And I just – I'll go back and listen to that again probably in the next couple of days because to me, if I'm ever in a position again to help somebody try to figure out how to do color and play-by-play, I will make them memorize every syllable of, of that pay-per-view because they, those guys did a fantastic job. All right, so now to my question. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about no, that. Uh, yeah, no, I had that. To, no. <laughs> um, well, if you were to you know, construct your ideal three-person uh, or four-person commentary team um, with today's announcers, whether it's WWE, All Elite, Ring of Honor, etc., who would you um, think would, would be able to emulate as best they can what you were witnessing on Slendery? I, you know, I, I, I appreciate the question, and it's a good question, but it's impossible for me to answer Mm -hmm. two reasons one is i'm not familiar enough and i'll try to bullshit my way through that stuff and pretend i am um and number two and i think this is a bigger reason i don't think we're seeing the best of the commentators that are out there right now i think they're very controlled i think they're filtered i think they're put through a cookie cutter press and i think they're doing the job as they've been asked to do it as they should by the way fully supportive of that but I don't think we're seeing the personality in announcers and the here's, – here's what it is. I'm going to go back to the four-man booth we were just discussing. Every one of those guys knew their role. They knew their job. And each one of their jobs were very distinct. There was like a fence you could build around the way each one of them handled their role on commentary. And all four of them made the other look better and sound better and made the match feel better and more believable. And most importantly, allowed the audience that came into this pay-per-view like this. And then they went like that. They dropped their car because it was so good. It allowed them to believe what they were listening to and get sucked into the story, get sucked into the backstory, and get sucked into the credibility and the stats. And Mike Deney did such a fantastic job doing. Added the color just when you needed a little bit of levity. You know, Dusty Rhodes or Bobby Heenan, and they didn't compete for it, would jump in with just enough of that entertainment value to keep it moving when it needed to move. That, that was a work of art. 
I could talk about that for two hours. <laughs> well, I just have one more burning question for you, and it kind of lends to keeping the audience excited. Uh, the Nitro Girls would debut a couple months after this slamboree. Was that an idea that was kind of in the works at this point, or were you starting to think like, hey, we really need something to, to keep the audience energy up during commercials? How did that come to fruition? Well, it was both. You hit it right on the head. We knew that one of the problems we had, you know, when you study quarter hours, and a lot of people you know, would, would put a lot of value on quarter hours. And, you know, I did to a degree because I'm a research freak. I love research, you know, but I also know that it's not just the research that's important. It's how you interpret it. And one of the things that I saw was we were losing audience during the commercial breaks. And this started back in the 90s when commercial breaks went from 30 seconds to a minute to two minutes to four minutes. Now I swear to God, I can watch a one-hour show and 45 minutes of it is a commercial and I get 15 minutes of content. But even back then, we were dealing with that issue. And here's here's where it really manifest, manifested itself in, in such a way that I needed to fix it. Is you get the arena hot, everybody's excited, and the crowd is the best part of any you know live televised event. I don't care what it is, whether it's rock and roll, you know, wrestling, football, whatever it is. If you don't have a crowd that's just full of energy and excited, you're 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 in a, you're in a hole. But what would happen is you know we get them all excited during the TV show, and then we go to a three minute commercial break. Yeah. Now you gotta bring them back again. <laughs> After about two hours of that, they feel like fucking ping pong balls. And I was like, oh. So I thought, how can we possibly kind of sustain the energy in the house during the TV commercial breaks on Nitro? And I thought, well, I know what the NFL does, I know what the NBA does. They have hot looking cheerleaders that keeps everybody entertained. So you don't get that, you know, crash mm-hmm. in between commercial breaks. So that's what it was. And that was Kimberly Page's idea, by the way. That wasn't my idea. I was looking for a solution. Really? You may oh. not remember this. If you go back and look at some nitros, look for DJ Ram. I used DJ music to do it for a while. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got all about that, didn't yeah. you, girlfriend? Wow. We tried, we tried DJ Ram and disco music, and that was pretty effective, but not enough. We needed something visual because it's television. People came there to see a television show produced, not, you know, go to a concert. So that's when the the Nitro Girls kind of became a reality. That way I could have, right before we went to commercial break, you'd see the Nitro Girls coming out. We call them a bumper in TV. Mm-hmm. You probably do, too. We'd have like 10, 15 seconds of the Nitro Girls coming out, ba-boom, 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 established to the audience, television audience that they were happening. So that hopefully they would anticipate getting one more look at them after you got done, you know, buying Doritos or Ford Rangers or whatever the hell you were buying. Right. Wow. Gosh. Well, I just I just love I to hear about he, the Nitro Girls. Well, you, everybody has, has their favorite follow-up. parts of WCW well, back well, in the day. Well, if anything, I, I didn't want to, like, discuss it beforehand, but I wanted to come up with a game so Eric can choose the best one. I talked with the boys. We're going to come up with the best Nitro Girl name for Christy. Oh and Eric Bischoff's going to decide which one of us has the best name it, for Christy. It's, it's been I, Chrissy's secret dream for like her entire life to be a Nitro girl. True story. And and the other guys dare try to end my winning streak, which <laughs> we know it's it's not going to end. So you guys have these ideas, and you're going to make this poor man sit here and uh, it's just the name and the reason the for the name. 
Oh, are we going to do that next week? Because oh, yeah, I'm yeah. A, actually, I'm looking forward to this. I was going to do, do it right now. We can do it right now. We can do it right now. If you got time. If you want seven days of anticipation, I mean. You want to go Let's, grab another no. beer, maybe? <laughs> no, I got half one. I got half one left here. I'm good. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Well, shoot. Well, I mean, obviously, you had great names like Spice, Fire, you know, AC Jazz. But I'm going to go with Chrissy to be Nitro Girl Desire. Because oh obviously, you know, she's very attractive. You know, she's well, very desirable. I don't know if you guys saw NXT Chrissy St. Cloud, but I just think it's a cool name. I think it's a great name. It, it's one of the, you know, it's just a great name. Desire. It's, it speaks for itself. Wow. Nitro Girl Desire. That is very saucy. My goodness. So speaking it's saucy as hell. I've been a stripper to San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> so, to your point, you want something saucy but also classy. And the name I've come up with is Nitro Girl Red. R-E-D. That's the, that's the color. Okay. That's the formula. That's hot. the ideal. Just red. No more, no less. And by the way, just to add to mine, desire with the Y. <laughs> of course. They're Nitro oh, Girls. Now you're clearly a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all the Nitro Girls. Those are all Ys. Uh, Y'all have right, something please. against the letter so, yeah, I. Desire, red. And, okay. uh, all right, so both, both save of you. my Nitro Girl persona. Both, both of you are, those are fine reasons. <laughs> those are excellent names. I would love to see those girls on Monday night, but they will not be nearly as great as Nitro Girl Empress. Which is spelled E M P R Y S, <laughs> and and the reason being that you know you you have the class like Steve said, you have the beauty like George said, and you're also the leader. You're the empress. Ooh. I have combined them all. Eric, just raise my hand again. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> well, this was a fun game. Are you blushing? Is that we just completely boosted Chrissy's ego too. I mean. Brother, you, you're, you're, you're taking the fun out of this for everybody because you're on the money every single week. However, what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in an alternative. Oh, oh yes. Whoa, Option D. I don't, oh, I, I don't know about this dusty finish just, right now. Just in case Empress has been formally trademarked, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in smoke. Ooh. That's a good one. That's also a good one. I like that. With a Y, right, Eric? <laughs> yeah, somehow, somehow, somehow. Y. We'll figure it out. We'll spell it Polish. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you guys for that. Um, I now realize how you all see me. And I am mildly horrified. <laughs> However, uh, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for playing along with us, Eric. Man, we just, uh, we, we love to hang with you over this little period of time and pick your brain. And uh, we want to thank you. You guys are the best. Love doing this. Thank you for the opportunity, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. We're looking forward to 99, right? Yep. Yes. 99. Also, you are. I'm not. Also, in in the outro plugs, patreon.com slash 83 weeks. Eric and I, every Thursday, will be doing something. We're trying brand new stuff. We did the Dirt Sheet Roundup last week. I think this week we're going to have some games and possibly some Dirt Sheet stuff. But we're going to do watch-alongs. We're going to do fun stuff. I can't guarantee which of it actually winds up on this YouTube page. The only way to see it all as we present it is patreon.com slash 83 weeks. I think we should continue with, you know, hot names for Christmas. <laughs> you could do that. That's top of my list so far. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see you there. Uh, thank Bye. you, Eric. We'll Thanks, see you. Wow, you guys. So, uh, so that, I won again then, right? Yeah. Technically? Yes. yes. Five. 
How sneaky are you guys coming up with things and not telling me about it? I'll I will it. not. I will not be bending the knee. Well, because I know you'd say no. <laughs> Wait, what? That's a, ben, like, like it's a for game me of, as 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 it's a game of thrones. It's a game. Oh. As a king. I, I thought it was like a boys to men reference, but whatever. I, I feel that you didn't even come up with this game, Christian Rosenberg, and you you still won. No, they they told me about it last minute. I'm just and <laughs> that's why I'm like, all right, a name, name, name. Got it. Winner done. <sighs> All right, that was fun. And uh, if you want, if you want to tell these guys uh, how genius they are, maybe mm. uh, where do they reach out to you, Christian Rosenberg? Well, you can reach out to your champ at Real Rosenberg on Twitter, the Real Rosenberg on Instagram, com slash Christian Rosenberg. Like this, the Evil Enterprises shirt that Woo. you can get because um, that's who I am at Brian Kendrick Wrestling Pro Wrestling. And catch me on SmackDown After Buzz breaking down whatever wild card stuff they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, don't even get me started. But you can follow <laughs> me at Ghermoza, G H E R M O Z A, on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Steve Kaufman. You can find me almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K A U F M A N N. I'm involved in a lot of YouTube pages. If I tweet the link, chances are I'm involved, including this one, youtube.com slash 83weeks. And you guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any of this juicy stuff from Eric and the whole team. And we will see you next week for... Why can I... Slambury 1999. Uh, Eric seemed real excited about that, so (laughs) it's going to be a good one. Have a great week. We'll see you then. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.